Hey, how you doing? This is Steve, and you're listening to Rock's Not Dead, a place where we talk about old rock, new rock, and everything in between. We'll dive into the bands, the songs, the musicians, and we'll talk about some interesting things you might not have known about your favorite artists. At the end of every episode, we're going to talk about some new music that you really should be checking out. Today we're diving headfirst into one of the most influential bands in history. This band has inspired and influenced countless other bands and laid what became the foundation of punk rock. But their influence reached well beyond that one genre. Strap in, because we're about to explore the origins, the impact, and the enduring legacy of one of the most iconic bands in history, and one of my personal favorites, the Ramones. The Ramones burst onto the scene in the mid-70s, a time when rock music was dominated by elaborate stage shows and complex arrangements. In stark contrast, the Ramones stripped things down to their core, emphasizing raw energy, catchy melodies, and lyrics that often revolved around teenage angst, love, and rebellion. Their signature sound was characterized by short, fast-paced songs with memorable hooks and often a distinctive One, two, three, four. count in before each track. Their songs were easy to sing, amazingly up-tempo while expressing the frustration felt by a young generation. I used to spend every weekend cruising around with my windows down, my stereo on 10 singing We're a Happy Family or Cretan Bop. I absolutely love these guys. The original members met in a middle-class neighborhood called Forest Hills in the borough of Queens in New York City. John Cummings and Thomas Ardelli, forgive me if I didn't pronounce that right, were in a high school garage band together from 1965 to 1967 called the Tangerine Puppets. They met and befriended Douglas Colvin, who had recently moved from Germany, and Jeff Hyman, who was a singer in a glam rock band called Sniper in 1972. Now, John and Doug invited Jeff to join them in the band, and Doug and John would play guitar, Jeff would play the drums, and they added Richie Stern to play the bass. After a few rehearsals, they figured out Richie couldn't play the bass, so Doug, who was singing and playing guitar, switched to the bass, leaving John as the only guitarist. Doug was the first one to change his name to Dee Dee Ramone. He got the idea from Paul McCartney's use of Paul Ramone during the Silver Beetle days. Dee Dee convinced the others to adopt the Ramone moniker as well, and they he came up with the idea to call them the Ramones. Now, Jeff became Joey, and John became Johnny. So now we had Dee Dee, Johnny, and Jeff of the Ramones. Now, it wasn't long until Dee Dee figured out he couldn't sing and play the bass. So one of their former bandmates, Thomas Ardelli, suggested that Joey be the new singer. Now, remember, Joey was singing with Sniper, the glam rock band before. Now, a side note, Dee Dee started every song, one, two, three, four. He's the one who did it, and he did it the entire time, every song. Now, Joey soon figured out he couldn't play drums and sing at the same time. So after several auditions where Thomas would play for the prospective musicians how to, you know, he'd show them how to play the songs. They all got together and they said, why are we looking for someone else? Thomas can do it. So he became Tommy Ramone. So as any Ramones fan knows, most of their songs are under two minutes and they're very fast. Their first concert in front of anybody was March 30th, 1974 at Performance Studios. A new music scene was starting to emerge in downtown Manhattan. It was centered around two clubs, Max's Kansas City and the now famous CBGB's. They made their debut at CBGB's on August 16, 1974. And Legs McNeil, who co-founded Punk Magazine the following year, said they counted off the song and all it was was a wall of noise. They were all in black leather jackets, looked striking, and they weren't hippies. This was something completely new. 
Now, they played that club 74 times between August until the end of the year, and they were getting a ton of attention. Their shows only lasted 17 minutes. That's crazy. They were signed to Sire Records by the end of 1975, and at this time, they were starting to be recognized as leaders of the new punk scene. Joey had a lot to do with this. Others were trying to copy Davis Johansson of uh, New York Dolls. He's the lead singer of that glam band. And he was trying to copy Mick Jagger. Well, Joey was completely different. He's six foot five. He was skinny and awkward and he wore rose colored sunglasses. And he had a mop of black hair. His vocals were gruff and partly sneer, partly croon. It was, it was just different. He was the epitome of the anti-glam band. Their first album was released in April of 1976 and consisted of only 14 songs. One of them, only one, I Don't Want to Go Down to the Basement, was two and a half minutes long. Everything else was less than that. All the guys contributed to the writing, but Dee Dee did most of it. The album was completely done on a minuscule budget of 6400 bucks. Punk Magazine featured them as a cover story on their third issue, it was released the same month that the record was released. Of course, this helped. Now, the critics loved them. Their unique sound and raw aggression was so different, there wasn't anybody like them. Now, despite this, they weren't a commercial success. Their album only reached 111 on Billboard charts. Their single, Blix Creek Bop, which ended up becoming a punk anthem, and I Want to Be Your Boyfriend, failed to chart at all. When they did a brief tour in the UK, that's when things started to break loose. They were playing the Roundhouse, they were second build with the flaming grooves and it went over huge. They met the members of sex pistols and the clash and their appearance there helped kick off the punk scene in the UK. They played with the flaming grooves again at the Roxy in LA and that sparked the punk fire there. Then they went to Toronto. Their music was inspiring bands all over the globe and fanning the punk rock flames into an inferno. Their next two albums, Leave Home and Rockets to Russia, my personal favorite, were released in 1977. Leave Home had what would become their signature song, Pinhead, the chant Gabba Gabba Hey. Now, my wife will argue this, but my youngest daughter is named Gabrielle, and I wanted to call her that because of this song. Honest, I call her Gabba all the time. Don't tell my wife. Now, Rockets was their highest charting album, reaching 49 on the Billboard charts. It had Sheena as a punk rocker, reaching 81, Rockaway Beach, reaching 66, and that's the highest they'd ever have in the U.S. December 31st, 1977, they recorded It's Alive, a live concert album at the Rainbow in London, and it was released in April of 1979. Side note, now, it was named after a horror movie in 1974 called It's Alive, about a, a demon baby. It, twisted movie anyway but that's what they named the album after now tommy got tired of touring and he left the band in 1978 but he continued to produce the band under his surname or daily mark bell took over on the drums and became marky ramon now that year 1978 they released road to ruin which had two songs over three minutes had acoustic guitars and had several ballads it failed the chart but it was possibly best known for their song i want to be sedated everyone knows that song so side note, Joey came up with the lyrics to I Want to Be Sedated after spending time in the hospital for burn treatment when his inhaler exploded in his face. Ouch. Think about that. 
That's awful. In 1979, the movie Rock and Roll High School debuted. It was about a girl who had a behavior problem and she caused issues at the high school. So she goes and she waits in line for like three days to get Ramon's tickets and she wants to meet Joey. She's hoping she's going to see him and give him a song she wrote called Rock and Roll High School. The Ramones are in the movie. They play several songs and it is campy, silly, and not very good. And it's an absolute delight. I love this movie. You got to check it out. It is so silly. It's fun. And the Ramones are hilarious. You can probably find it someplace. You can stream it. If you love the Ramones, you got to see this. So Phil Spector, the well-known music producer, and he's pretty notorious. He saw the band gained interest in them. And he wanted to produce the next album. So he did. He produced the next album called End of the Century. That was 1980. This album was the highest charting album ever, reaching 44 in the U.S. and 14 in the U.K. Now, Johnny made it very clear that he considered all the music on that album watered-down Ramones, not the real Ramones. Johnny oversaw the next release and drove this point home with the title Loud Fast Ramones, their toughest hits. Now, here's a side note on this. There's a long-disputed rumor Marky says it never happened, but the, there's a rumor that Phil Spector held a gun on Johnny and forced him to repeatedly play a riff over and over and over. Now, if you know anything about Phil Spector, then you know that in 2003, he shot an actress, Lana Clarkston, in the mouth and claimed it was an accidental suicide. He said she kissed the gun and then he was convicted and he died in jail in 2021. Now, maybe it didn't happen, but that kind of lends some credence to the claims. I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks the guy might've done that. I mean, he's pretty freaking crazy as it was. The next albums they released continued in the raw punk sound of the early Ramones. So they went back to their roots. In 1983, Marky was fired from the band for alcoholism and he was replaced by Richard Reinhardt, who became Richie Ramone. Joey credits Richie for saving the band. He said they brought back the spirit and brought back uh, the desire to be, be there and play. He was the only drummer to sing any lead, and he added backing vocals to their tracks. And he was also the only drummer to write a song, which was called Somebody Put Something in My Drink, and he wrote Smash You. The band released their first album with Richie, Too Tough to Die, in 1984, and another album in 1985, Smash You. While it was only available in the U.S. as an import, Bonzo Goes to Pittsburgh was a protest song about Ronald Reagan's visit to a German World War II cemetery where numerous SS soldiers were buried. It received a ton of airplay on American college radio. They released Halfway to Sanity, the last album with Richie, who left the band in 1987 over a fight with Johnny over money. Uh, he was replaced by Clem Burke, the, of the band Blondie and he took the name Elvis Ramon but after two performances he was fired because he couldn't keep up with the band they were just too too fast it's not easy to play that rapid fire machine gun beats it's just not easy by that time Marky was clean and sober they brought him back welcomed him back to the band in 1988 they released their album Brain Drain which was supposed to be a comeback album but many of the members were having personal issues and Didi had just reached the point where he didn't want to do it anymore the song Pet Cemetery is named after the novel by Stephen King, and it is the highest charting song they had ever. Dee Dee did stay with the band until July 5th, 1989, when he was replaced by Christopher Joseph Ward, a.k.a. C.J. Ramon. And he remained with the band until they broke up. Now, Dee Dee tried his hand at rapping under the name Dee Dee King for a short time, but then he started playing 
punk rock again and continued to write songs for the Ramones, but never rejoined them. In 1991, their original contract with Sire Records ran out. So they signed with a new label formed by band manager Gary Kerfurst, Radioactive Records. Now, CJ questioned Johnny about this. He told him, Johnny, you ran the business side for the entire time, and you were getting an offer from Epitaph Records to go on tour with those guys, and they got bands like Rancid and Offspring who were inspired by Thermos in the first place. Why wouldn't you want to go out with them? I mean, that's where all the fans are. That's, that's what they want. And Johnny said, no. He said, when you've been in the business as long as I have, you can make the decision. So they went with Radioactive Records. Now, their album Mondo Bizarro was released in 1992, and it was certified gold in Brazil. And it's the only gold certification they ever received. One of the songs, Poison Heart, was another hit for them. In 1993, they released Acid Eaters, which was a collection of cover songs they recorded. And that year, they were featured on The Simpsons, an episode called Rosebud. They provided music and their own voices for the cartoon versions of themselves. They said that they had always been a huge fan of The Simpsons. Sadly, in 1995, they released their final album, Adios Amigos, and they announced that that was going to be in, the band was going to disband. Sales weren't that good on the album, unfortunately, and they spent the rest of the year on a farewell tour. They played the sixth Lollapalooza Festival, and they turned around with that around the U.S., and they played their final show at the Palace in Hollywood, August 6, 1996. A video and a CD called We're Out of Here was released and featured several guest artists, including Dee Dee. The Ramones were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2002, and in 2011, they received a, a Grammy Award for Lifetime Achievement. And their first album, The Ramones, was certified gold 38 years after its release on April 30th, 2014. That's crazy. I would have thought it would have gone gold way before that. Now, the Ramones were not exempt from struggles that most of the bands face. There were several issues and conflicts between them, and they did last several years. So I'll go through some of these for you. Um, I'm going to do them kind of like in Ramones fashion, rapid fire. Joey and Johnny had issues because the woman Joey was dating dumped him and married Johnny. Some speculated that this inspired the KKK took my baby away. However, Marky says that's not the case. Marky says the song was inspired by a time that Joey was institutionalized for his mental instabilities. And there was a African-American girl in the bed next to him and he became very infatuated with her. And one night she was gone. Joey was extremely liberal. Johnny was extremely conservative and they would clash over their political beliefs. It got so bad that they got to a point where they wouldn't even speak to each other. They didn't speak to each other for years. Dee Dee had his appendix removed and he had a scar, but he would tell people he got it in a knife fight or they got the scar in Vietnam. He was never in Vietnam. Dee Dee had a very childlike and vivid imagination and he'd make up stories and tell them like they were fact. Marky one time put a barking chihuahua in the refrigerator for 10 minutes to make it cool off. CJ married and divorced Marky's niece. Marky has since accused CJ of being a bigot, and CJ thinks this stems from some political differences. If you can't tell, political differences caused a lot of rifts in this band. Marky and Joey got in a feud that lasted several years over substance abuse. Marky, who was clean and sober, Joey wasn't. Marky said that Joey was telling everybody it was reversed. Joey had OCD, and he ended up self-medicating, trying to help it. So let's talk a little bit about the band members themselves. Now, Joey Ramone, born Jeffrey Hyman on May 19, 1951 in Queens, New York. 
Uh, he was born to a Jewish family, and he had a parasitic twin. This is where the twin embryos begin developing, but one of them doesn't completely develop, and the other one ends up absorbing it. It was removed surgically when he was very young. They resided in Forest Hills, and he had a brother named Mickey. He was generally a very happy person, but somewhat of an outcast and diagnosed with OCD and schizophrenia at 18. He was a fan of the Beatles, David Bowie and the Stooges and the Who. His hero was Keith Moon, the drummer of the Who. He started playing drums at 13, guitar at 17, played in several bands before the Ramones, and performed several side projects throughout the years. As I said, he was six foot five, he was skinny and awkward with a very distinctive voice. This made him quite the standout. At the time, Joey was diagnosed with lymphoma in 1995, and he died April 15, 2001 in New York. It's rumored that while he was laying in his deathbed, he was listening to U2's A Little While, and he was listening to that when he died. The only members of the band to attend his funeral were Tommy, CJ, and Richie, and that's really too bad. Johnny Ramone was the guitarist. He was, was born John William Cummings on October 8, 1948 in Queens, New York. He was raised in Forest Hills, and his dad was a very strict disciplinarian. He was known as a greaser, but later described as a tie-dye-wearing Stooges fan and a lifelong New York Yankees fan. He attended a military school and worked as a plumber with his dad before the Ramones took off. He had a signature playing style, rapid fire picking hand, played some of the fastest downstrokes I've ever seen. He had a no-nonsense attitude, and he was very staunch and outspoken Republican. He married Linda in 1984, and they remained married until his death. Johnny died after a five-year battle with prostate cancer on September 15, 2004. There is a monument honoring him in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Didi Ramon, the bassist, was born Douglas Glenn Colvin. September 18, 1951, in Fort Lee, Virginia. His father was in the military, and they had to travel a lot. He ended up relocating to Germany at one point. His father had a bad drinking problem, and his parents separated when he was 15 years old. His mom left his dad, and he, his mom, and his sister moved to Forest Hills in Queens, New York. He had a rebellious spirit, and he had a knack for crafting catchy, relatable lyrics. He married Vera Boldus in 1978, but his struggles with substance abuse and mental illness caused them to divorce in 1995. He met a 16-year-old girl named Barbara Zambini in 1984 at one of his concerts in Argentina, and they got married. They remained married until his death of a heroin overdose on June 5th, 2002. He's buried in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, not far from Johnny's Monument. Tommy Ramon, the original drummer, born Tomas Erdeli on January 29th in 1949 in Budapest, Hungary. He's from a Jewish family and his parents both survived the Holocaust by being hidden by neighbors. Most of his other family was killed by the Nazis. That's that, that was a terrible time. His family moved to the U S in 1957. They finally settled in Forest Hills, Queens. Here he changed his name to Thomas Erdeli. He provided the driving rhythm that anchored their songs and he was able to keep up with Johnny's fast picking hand. He never married, but he had a longtime partner, Claudia Tiennan. He died of bile duct cancer at his home in July of 2014. The Ramones weren't just the band. They were a cultural force. They influenced countless musicians and sparked a punk rock movement. Their music inspired a generation of artists that were tired of the excesses of mainstream rock and were looking for something new, something more authentic. The Ramones' no-nonsense, in-your-face approach to music encouraged aspiring musicians to pick up instruments and start their own bands, knowing 
that they could do this even if they had limited technical skills. You don't have to be Eddie Van Halen. You don't have to be a virtuoso. You can go out there and make music and still have a great time and make some good music. That's what's awesome. That's what they showed us. Now, even though they never achieved commercial success, they left an indelible mark on music landscape that will never be erased. The band's influence can be heard in generations of musicians that are carrying the torch of punk rock and the rock rebellion. Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day, Kurt Hammett of Metallica, Paul Diano, the original singer for Iron Maiden, David Grohl of Nirvana and Foo Fighters, Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam. Every one of these guys list the Ramones as one of their influences. The list is huge. They're not the only ones. There are so many bands that list the Ramones as an influence. And that's awesome. They had such an impact on music. It's crazy that this band of misfits out of Queens, New York, could leave behind such a lasting legacy that's affected so many people. Their iconic logo, the presidential seal that replaces their name instead of the normal inscriptions, is still a iconic symbol of punk rock today. It's still being worn by kids, and I don't even think they know who they are. And that's crazy, but everybody recognizes that symbol. They know the name Ramones, and that's awesome. So there you have it, a whirlwind tour through what was the Ramones career. They left a huge impact on music, and they have an enduring legacy that's going to continue forever and ever and ever. Remember, their music isn't just about rebellion. It's also about embracing your individuality, finding a voice in a world that is sometimes massively overwhelming. Nowadays, I see these kids wearing the Ramon shirts, and I don't think most of them know who they are. And that's sad. If you love the Ramones, you need to help share it with these kids and with your kids. Let them know who the Ramones are. Play the music for them. Let them hear it. They're going to love it. You can't help but love it. It's so cool. Even now, they meant so much to me in my youth. They still mean a ton to me now. Anytime I put on the Ramones, I crank the radio up and I'm singing along with it to every song. And it just brings back that in your face, who cares attitude. And I love it. It's a great escape, and I hope you love it too. Now for the new music you should really be checking out, I'm going to tell you about Theory of a Dead Man. They've been together since 1999 in the hail from North Delta, British Columbia. They have several albums out, and everyone offers something new. They have an easily recognizable sound and have a mix of some heavy and and some ballads. Their lyrics are clever and catchy and sometimes hilarious. Their latest album is Dinosaur and is from 2023. There are some great songs on here. There's a periodic twist of the classic song, Just the Two of Us, and the song Medusa is freaking awesome. I think it's great. I think you'll love it. So I'm Steve. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. If you did, let me know. Send me a comment. If you'd like to see other artists or bands like this, you want me to go through or any suggestions for me for the podcast, let me know. I'll check them out. In the meantime, take care and don't forget, no matter what they say, rock's not dead. See you later.